episode 40 with Pulitzer Prize winning poet Jericho Brown. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with Jericho Brown, a Pulitzer Prize-winning poet, scholar, and the director of creative writing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Exploring poetry as sound, Jericho's written word reminds us that language is always first heard in the mind before it is spoken, and it is spoken in order to be experienced. Born Nelson Demery III, Jericho grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, moved by the poetry of Langston Hughes and the fists of his father. Changing his name to reflect his desires for his words and worth to live outside of his parents' identity and anti-gay convictions, Jericho's three award-winning collections of poetry all progress towards an honest look at the truth. His latest collection, The Tradition, won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry and interrogates Blackness and the Black body's vulnerability to disease, abuse, love, and death at the hands of our would-be lovers, our doting mothers, and our country's fidelity to whiteness. Through poetry, Jericho teaches us that brilliance is always within reach when we are willing to create a practice of failure and desire to show up for our own craft. Today's episode is rooted in the power of the spoken word and what love allows for. Love of craft, love of self, and simply loving love itself. If you aspire to write or create, allow this professor to guide you out of your belief in writer's block and into your seat of messy. What are you up to right now? Nothing? Great, great. Head over to Apple Podcast, leave us a review, and let us know how we're doing over here. Be sure to share some of your thoughts on today's episodes with us over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. And if you don't want to miss another episode, hit that subscribe button. This and more content is over at IBI Digital at www.blackimagination.com. And without further ado, the incredible Jericho Brown. Mr. Jericho Brown, um, thank you so much and welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. Um, I'm so excited to hop into this conversation with you. Um, but for, for, for a start, um, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Oh, wow. I didn't um, know I was going to get to dedicate a conversation. I would dedicate it to my sister, who was sweet. She was just here, and um, I got her something for Christmas in the wrong size, so now I'm mailing her the right size. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she's great. Her name's Niguela. She's a filmmaker, and she's the best. Amazing. Good brother. Good brother you are. Thank you, um, so, so to start, I would love to start with uh, your poem, Vaccinated. Um, if you wouldn't mind reading it for us, 
I think would be a really great place to start today. Sure, I'll do that. Thank you. Vaccinated. I once saw Giselle Barbie Royale do Whitney Houston so well, I got upset with myself for sneaking past the cashier after having been patted down. Security frisks you for nothing. They don't believe in trouble. They don't imagine a gun or a blade, though sometimes they make you walk all the way back to the car with the weed you didn't tuck well. No one's at fault. That's how they say it, where I'm from. Everyone's got a job. I should have paid. Our women need to perform for the tips they couldn't earn after the state shut down for good reason and too late. We lost so many friends. My buddy Janir swears he still can't smell his lip balm. Our women need us to call them beautiful because they are. They've done what they must to prove it. And how often does any woman get to hear the truth? Giselle is so pretty. Whitney Houston is dead. No one wore a mask. It wasn't safe, so it wasn't really free. If you don't watch me, I'll get by you. I'll take what I've been missing. My mother says that's not how she raised me. I spent a year and a half sure she'd die. The women who limp seek for us could die. People like to murder them, and almost everyone else wonders if they should be dead. Who got dressed looking for safety today? Who got patted down? My mother says what we do is sin, but all we do is party. Even when I'm broke, I can entertain. You're going to miss me someday. You're going to forget the words to your favorite song. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this poem, you know, one, because it's prescient, right, to the time that we find ourselves in, um, but it makes me think about, you know, just this concept of, like, being vaccinated, right? Like, it, like it's meant to protect, right, this vaccination. It's meant to protect you, but to protect you from what? Like, what, dying? And like, what does vaccination mean to a black person, right? When we think about the things we do to quote unquote protect us, right? You know, education as a vaccination, you know, trying to climb a socioeconomic ladder is like some kind of form of protection, but like you still might get it, um, it, whatever that is, right? You still might get hit. Is it actually protecting you from anything? And so, you know, in this time of of the pandemic, of being locked down, like, what has gone through your mind? Like, how has it shifted your lens on 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 life and living? Oh, um, well, you know, it's been since March of twenty that things have been different for me. And then since March of 20, the differences seem to change every, I guess, eight, eight weeks, you know? Um, so it's hard to answer that question because at this point I've got a lot of eight weeks uh, behind me, you know what I mean? Because um, at first I was sort of, to be quite honest, um, though I was obviously upset 
about what COVID was doing, I was personally grateful for the opportunity um, to be without obligation and to be um, home. Um, and so maybe part of me is still there. A part of me is still grateful for the opportunity to reflect, to meditate um, in ways that before the pandemic, I was on the go. I was always looking for those chances. You know, um, my meditation, you know, I pray every day. And, uh, you know, maybe let's say that's 15 minutes out of the day. I was on a book tour when the pandemic hit and I was sort of like trying to sneak two and three and five minutes in on a plane. You know what I mean? I really wasn't going where I needed to go inside myself to get my own personal and spiritual work done in that in that proper way, I think. Um, and I think now I'm getting back to that. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's one of the things that it has meant. Um, I also, I mean, I was sort of talking to a friend about this yesterday. I, I, I think the other thing that it's meant is I just, I really don't know I don't really know yet how to go about meeting new people. Um, maybe this isn't a question for anybody else, but I'm, I've always met new people and I haven't really been meeting new people, you know? Um, so I sort of think about how it's possible to fall in love in the middle of a pandemic, you know? It's already uh, hard enough to trust folk. Um, particularly in love situations, uh, there is uh, going into it, though you want to be wide open and vulnerable, there is some sort of a fear of being um, taken advantage of, I guess. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I've thought about is what love might look like for me, um, or what meeting, I mean, recently, what meeting, just because it's been on my mind only recently, probably in the last, I would say, two or three weeks, what uh, what meeting somebody would look like because I really haven't actually met anybody in a very, I mean, if all of the people that I've known recently are the people I already knew. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so I haven't met anybody new or really brought anybody new into my life. Um, so I guess I'm thinking about that as well. And something about that has obviously, has obviously changed things. I'm not because I'm just, I mean, I'm not as fast as I used to be, you know. Because, um, you know, I would just rather not be sick than, you know, than be fast, which is fascinating to me about, I'm fascinated actually about that information uh, about myself. I didn't know that about me. And then um, what else has it changed or, or does it make me think about? I mean, the way you ask that question is really interesting because part of Part of what you're asking, it seems to me, goes beyond COVID and, and the fact of a Moderna or a Johnson & Johnson vaccination, right? It, it sort of goes toward um, all the things we do um, in order to survive what we know is a kind of a shit show. Do you know what I mean? Um, because you mentioned education. Now, it's so funny you would mention education because today 
I was thinking about how it's possible for me to, I was feeling a, a, a large sense of gratitude for the fact of my education. Like um, even, even though that education has some holes in it, and even though that education has some regret, um, uh, maybe through no fault of my own, you know what I mean? But I am glad that I know that I learned in school, like quite literally in classrooms, what I know about poetry. I mean, I do wish that my that more of my teachers realized by the end of the semester they hadn't taught any black folk, you know, they hadn't taught any black poem, you know, or they had taught one. Do you know what I mean? I do wish that I had read in, in my education that I had read more poets of color. Um, but I am still grateful for the way I was allowed the opportunity to know about line and prosody and metaphor and conceit and all of the things that I'm making use of, voice and tone, all of the things that I'm making use of when I'm writing poems, you know? Um, and it gets very, but it gets very difficult to broadcast gratitude for that because that education is also quite problematic, right? That education in many ways has uh, kept me safe from many things. Um, and yet uh, I understand that education to be flawed. I understand that education to indeed be uh, um, rife with, with racism, with homophobia, with sexism. Um, so yeah, I. I'm, you know, and maybe this is really old school of me, um, but I feel about safety that it's a good idea in spite of the fact that the overall scene is a hot mess. Um, so I'll give you an example of what I mean here. I, um, I know, I know it's like totally unpopular, um, but I still think voting is a good idea. Do you know what I mean? And I know people are like, oh, well, you're voting for the lesser of two evils. Yeah, of course you are. Of course you're voting for the lesser of two evils. Like, I don't understand what's wrong with that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm real big on, um, I'm real big on participation and I'm real big on people I'll say this, I'll, I'm real big on, I don't like to pretend that I'm not participating. Do you know what I mean? When it's time for me to pay my taxes, I'm gonna pay them. I'm not going to jail behind taxes. And I'm definitely not gonna have like interest and penalties up the wazoo so I, I, I owe more. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm participating whether I like it or not. And so I just think it's a good idea to participate. You know what I mean? I guess I'm I'm thinking, you know, looking at this picture of Carmen, she's relaxing. She's having like um, this glass of wine. There's a little bit of leg out. It's a sunny day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I like that and I want that. And that is, um, uh, I don't think that's a bad goal to have. But yeah, there are some things that I'll have to do to, to make that scene happen more often in my life. There are things we have to do to make that scene of sitting in the sun, drinking wine with a little leg showing. There are things we have to do to make that scene happen more often in our lives. 
Um, and that means um, seeking safety, you know, um, in spite of the fact that none of us is safe. Right. And in and, 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 and that kind of conundrum, right, that, that like, that paradox of existence, where do you, where do you find safety? Where do you feel safe in, in the midst of pandemonium? I feel safe. Um, you know, I feel safe when I'm praying. I feel safe with my close friends. Um, I feel safe when I'm reading poetry. Um, particularly when I'm really reading poems I love or when I come across a poem I love, particularly a poem I love by a younger poet. It makes me feel, um, makes me feel like everything's going to be okay, even though I know it's not. Do you know what I mean? I get this feeling like, oh, it'll be fine. Everybody's getting it, you know, although I know they're not. Um, I mean, I think I feel safety in those, in those moments. Obviously I feel safety. I must feel some sense of safety when I'm stuffing my mouth with, with trash because I, you know, you know, whenever things get difficulty, I immediately turn to Doritos. You know what I mean? So obviously I think there's some safety in like, I don't know, MSG or something. So I just, uh, yeah, but then, I mean, the opposite can happen too, you know, when I'm feeling particularly accomplished and athletic, you know, if I get if I get to a hundred burpees, I feel like, whoa, I'm safe. You know what I'm saying? I can do it. Line come after me, I'll run. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so I, I, I think those are some of the times I feel safety. It's, 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 it's interesting as you speak, particularly about like these burpees and the ways in which they can make you feel safe, right? Just in one, the accomplishment, right? Of like doing something great for yourself. Um, and then two, maybe there's a level of physical prowess that you feel afterwards. Um, but it also makes me think about uh, that safety is something that has to be maintained. That safety is a practice. Like you can't, like you can't do the hundred burpees and then think you're going to be good for the rest of your life right? Like it's, it's a, it's a practice. Like it's a muscle is something that has to be reified over and over again. Um, but you also mentioned something that I want to circle back to, um, about voting. Um, and I, I know that you, you've said, uh, previously that, you know, all poetry is political, but I also find it interesting that you were a speechwriter for the mayor of New Orleans. Is that correct? Like is, is that my facts right? Yeah, that's right. I was a speechwriter from, oh, I'm bad at years now. What, 98 to 2002, I think it was. It was the second term for Mark Moriel, who was the mayor of New Orleans. Yeah. He's now the, um, he's now the, the president of the Urban League. So, so being a, a, a poet and, and a man of letters, um, total pun intended, um, what was that like, that experience to be writing into a political sphere, writing um, for, for, for an individual and a character that was really trying to push forward, I hope, some progressive agenda, but what was not really your particular specific voice? Um, I loved it. 
at the time, I mean, I was still learning to write poems. I was very young. Uh, it was my first job out of college. I mean, my first job out of college was with the mayor's office, but it wasn't exactly speechwriter. I moved up to speechwriter really quickly um, and by nefarious means, you know, it was really like the, like the kind of stuff that I would do um, in that office. Now that I think about it, it would have been really great for a sort of television drama, I guess. You know how like you watch these television dramas about people um, being really... Um, uh, political and nefarious at work. I was I was doing those things such that by the end of my first year there, I had become the speechwriter. And I think I was, I might have been 24 years old, <laughs> 23 or something like that. And, uh, but, you know, I had watched a lot of soap operas on TV. So I sort of knew how to, like seriously, seriously knew how to um, use that to my advantage. Um, and And I loved it because it gave me an opportunity to get closer and closer to the city, to New Orleans, the city that I, I mean, I just fell in love with New Orleans and I felt that I was involved with it. I mean, it literally required that I knew the city, that I knew its history, that I knew its geography and that I see that geography in person. So I, you know, I, um, I wasn't just a French quarter person or a West bank person or East bank person or, I had I went all around all over New Orleans. Do you know what I mean? And um and I got to experience it as home. Uh I always feel a little bit of sadness about that just because um I don't think that place is there anymore. You know, after Katrina happened, it's like New Orleans is a whole nother thing. Um that I didn't, that I don't necessarily think of as home. So that idea of home is only in the past, you know? Um, but yeah, I loved doing that. I loved working for him. He had a, he had a photographic memory. He could be, um, he was, uh, he was only mean to me once, but it was, um, he wasn't really mean. I mean, I was sort of out of line, I guess, when it, that one time he was mean. So, I mean, but he was, you know, he was, um, it was nice to see leadership enacted in the way that he enacted it so I could have an idea of how I might possibly enact it too when I was in leadership positions. And yeah, it felt like I was, um, it felt like I was doing what I could for a black city and like I was um, working. I mean, you know, when I finished school, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I sort of, I don't know how I happened to, I mean, I do know how, but I mean, nefarious again, you know, I happened upon this job and I got the job and I got to sort of get promoted pretty quickly in the job. And then I got to, got to work. I got to help. Um, and I loved it. I love that. I also love the fact that I was writing, that it gave me a way of thing, you know, uh, writing speeches, writing, pre I was writing a lot of things at that time, you know, speeches were only one of the things I was writing a, a weekly column ghostwriting a weekly column. I was uh, for Louisiana Weekly, the uh, newspaper. I was uh, writing uh, press releases. I was writing all kinds of stuff. And I think uh, I did learn something about brevity in that job. I do think that I used a lot. I think I learned a lot of tools that I use in poetry, though poems are obviously not the same as, and should not be the same as speeches. And 
it's interesting. I, I don't think a lot of just normal, average, everyday citizens understand that politicians have speechwriters. So, you know, you being a speechwriter, what, what from the other side should, should citizens know about the words that come out of politicians' mouths? <laughs> um, huh, um, I don't know. I mean... I, I think maybe because I was on a local level, on a city level, a municipal level, maybe that makes things different. Um, if I had kept doing it and that changed that level, maybe if I was doing that on a national level or maybe if I was doing that for somebody running for president, maybe I would think differently about that. But, um, you know, I, I always said what I wanted him to mean. And then he would read it. So I just felt like he must mean that. He did not say it. No, he didn't tell me to take it back. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, he would say things, we would talk, or, you know, an initiative would go out, or, you know, I would be aware of, I would be aware of something that was about to be passed or aware of something that was going on, and he would have to speak about it. And I would respond to it. I would write to that subject, given what I thought about it. And given what I, I mean, obviously given what I knew of, of him. Um, and what I knew of him is that he wanted the world for New Orleans. I mean, that's, I mean, it is true of any city mayor that they want the world for their city. Do you know what I mean? They want their city to be the city. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, and I wanted that too. You know, I wanted everybody to remember New Orleans. Um, and so kind of kind of staying in this area of like origins, um, I know that you um, changed your name to Jericho Brown, um, which 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 I which I which I find really interesting. Um, many people don't know that I changed my name as well actually i was i was born uh daryl and i changed it to to daria when i was also in school so so quite a while ago um you know so what does it mean to to name oneself uh well for me it gave me an opportunity to reinvent myself and to more consciously create my own life uh, i could sort of talk to myself um there's a way that we talk to ourselves um, if we do not see ourselves as characters uh, in the play of our own lives. And there's a way we can talk to ourselves if we begin to see ourselves as characters in the play of our own lives. And if we sort of, I mean, if giving myself a name made me also say, so what does his life look like? You know, um, what can he have? What can he do? What can he learn? How far can he go? What will he say? Somehow, I mean, obviously I could have just done that with the other name, right? But when I was a very young person, I didn't understand that I could do that. Um, and I didn't feel free to do that. I think also involved in that is the fact that I was born a third. I was uh, literally born with my grandfather's and my father's name. So having a different name allowed me um, to have an identity beyond my family, beyond my family name. Do you know what I mean? And that was um, that was really... Uh, important for me, and I, I probably wouldn't have been able to to make any book at all if I hadn't done done it. 
Um, so that's, I mean, that's one of the things that it does. Um, yeah. And, and with the name Jericho, um, you know, growing up in the church, my father is a pastor. Um, so it makes me think about, you know, who is Joshua? Mm-hmm. Is there a Joshua? Um, I hope not. you know because you have you also have a line like my body is a temple in disrepair and you know for for listeners who are unfamiliar with uh like the battle of jericho uh it's a it's a city that joshua is trying to conquer and uh the lord tells him to walk around the walls of the cities seven times um and then to blow a trumpet and the walls will come a tumbling down and so, you know, this naming of, of Jericho, in a way, I'm, I'm just curious about, is there, is there a Joshua? Is, is life Joshua? What's, who's Joshua? You no, know, it's interesting. You're really intuitive, Dario, because there is a poem uh, that ends my first book. And it's a poem, uh, much like the poem you just quoted. It's a poem about rape. Um, and in that poem, um, the rapist, uh, in, because I'm making use of my own name in that book, the rapist is named uh, Joshua. Um, so it's interesting that you would use this other poem written years and years later, uh, which is also a poem about rape um, that appears in a book where there are many more poems about rape and many, many more poems about rape that are not... Um, as coded, I think. I think there's a way that, in spite of writing about that in my first two books, it was never as um, direct as it is, or as main a subject matter as it is in the tradition. My third book, um, and so maybe there's there is a way that um, that Joshua uh, that Joshua is um, in my mind. A sort of a figure standing for rape or standing for um, violation or standing for having something um, taken from you, maybe. I don't know, but I haven't, um, I haven't thought about any real Joshua's in that way. When I meet Joshua's, though, I usually run because <laughs> it just didn't seem like a good idea. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Yeah, and 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 thinking about you know your 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 career and your work, you know, in a way, it, it feels like you are rewriting the story of Jericho. I hope so. I hope so. That's nice. You know that 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 we don't have to accept the mythologies that are passed down to us. Like you know, in our present life, we have the power and the agency uh, to rewrite those. But, you know, also kind of coming from, you know, is it, wait, is it Shreveport, Louisiana? Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Okay, awesome. Um, you know, who, 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 who was Nelson? And who is Jericho, right? Like that, that, that story, that, that, that origin, like who, who is he? Who are they? Um, well, you know, they're one in the same. Um, I mean, when bills come, I got to pay them. <laughs> I, I, um, 
I I uh, I think Nelson is my parents' child. Um, and I think that's all he ever was. I think he was always servicing his parents. And I think he really thought um, that what people thought of him or what people thought of him, that what people thought of him was more important than anything because what people thought of him would reflect on what people thought about his family or his parents in particular. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I think he was a church boy, not because of, um, not because of access to any real, um, spiritual sense, but because the right thing to do is to go to church, you know? Um, and I think he, the closer he became, uh, the closer he came to becoming Jericho, the more he grew in his own spiritual sense. I think that, uh, I think he was very good um, and that he did, um, he always made the safest choice um, within a set of choices that eventually became uh, unsafe or um, unwanted from his community or from his parents. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about Nelson. I, uh, I will tell you this about him. I love him. Um, I love him and I appreciate him. I think he was a, um, I think he was a great, great kid. Sweet. I think he's a great, sweet kid. And I, uh, whenever I see old pictures of myself, I just feel so much, um, love. For that kid, like I'm always like, oh my God. And it doesn't, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, answering, it sort of seems, I guess, silly how I'm answering this question, but it really doesn't seem like me. Like when I look at old pictures of myself, when I look at old pictures of Nelson, it doesn't seem, it doesn't look to me like me. Do you know what I mean? Like it looks like this kid who I'm like, who I feel all this great affection for and who I know is, um, you know, I know what he's going through. I know what he's been through. And so I always feel like, oh my God, you're going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. You poor thing. You're all worried about the, everything's going to be fine. You're so sweet. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I probably feel about him the way um, I feel about many of my students. You know, they're stressed out and they're going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I love, uh, you know, one thing that I miss about him or being him is how fresh things were, how new everything was, how learning felt. And I'm always trying to get back to that. I want to get back to a place where I feel like learning is the most amazing and newest and, and, and freshest thing, you know, I'm taking an acting class this spring. A semester just because I'm trying to get back to that feeling you know um that was I was actually kind of tearing up there because you know to look at oneself you know in transition um and be on the other side of so many things that you feared um 
is one beautiful, but then also technically it actually is not you. Like the, yeah, the yeah, distance yeah. between who that is and who you are now is just a story, right? Mm-hmm. Like technically all of those cells have regenerated and you physically mm-hmm. are not actually even that person anymore. Amen. Um, you know, it's just a story, but you also, you know, have mentioned that like your naivete and sincerity, speaking of, of Nelson are like the best and the worst things that have happened to you. You know, mm-hmm. what, what does, what does your naivete and sincerity allow for? And, you know, then also thinking about like, what is the cost? Yeah. I mean, I think my naivete allowed me to believe what people said when I was growing up. And I think um, most young people, most children are smarter than I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people know that adults are bullshitting them. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't know that. I thought adults would, I just, I don't know why I thought they would tell me the truth, but I thought they were telling me the truth. You know, when my dad said, you know, he would say things like, you know, you're going to do what you want to, what, what I say in my house. And when you leave here, what you do is going to be your business. I thought that was true. And then I left there and he was still in my business. That man want to be in my business today. I'm like as old as he was when he was saying that. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, So, uh, and and I believed, um, I believed um, sort of these uh, platitudes that I thought people really believed about or thought about uh, blackness and black people. Um, I believed in sort of these um, romantic notions that we have about West Africa. I believed in, um, uh, I believed, I mean, I believed, um, you know, in, uh, oh, work hard and you'll get everything you want to get. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, You know, I believed in all of that stuff. And so therefore I lived my life like it. Do you understand mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. I did not live my life like, um, I did not live my life like, you know, I think that these, the sort of American way to live is to get by or to do enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, my students um, have this problem. My students know that a 90 is an A. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So they, you know, they out here trying to make 90s. Do you understand what I mean? And I didn't, I never, I, I mean, I wish I would have, you know, I probably would have slept more. Um, but I never tried to make a 90. I just always tried to make a 100. Do you know what? Because I believe. Yeah, because 99 and a half won't do. Yeah, yeah. I believed <laughs> in all of the, um, the things people said about difference and about excellence. I just believed all that all that stuff. Um, and so in many ways that worked out for me because I was always pushing myself to the limit. Um, but in many ways it hasn't worked out for me because it made me, you know, it put me in situations where I didn't understand, for instance, I didn't understand, um, that people could indeed just be cruel to me because they were cruel. You know, I thought if something was going on, I must have done something wrong and I was I'd be trying to correct what I no, you don't have to do anything wrong. Sometimes people are cruel, you know? Um, some people like to see you hurt and in pain. You know, do you know what I'm there's no and ain't nothing you could do about it, you know, other than get 
the hell away from them. Do you understand? Once you realize it, do do you follow what I mean? So, um, yeah. But I think there's also a magic to that in a way, you know, like that, that what you believe does define Mm-hmm. your lens on the world, right? Yeah. Like there are a myriad of things. This is a very complex matrix-like system that we are in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in a place like that where there are myriad of stimuli and vibrations hitting you at any given moment, mm-hmm. the only thing you experience is what you tune into, mm-hmm. you know, um, in many ways, right? Like we can we can double tap on that, Um you know, as it relates to, you know, conscious and conscious awareness and experience. But, you know, there is, there is, um, there is something to being very clear um, intentionally about what we pay attention to um, and how that creates reality. Um, and I think that's a really great segue into just text, right? Um you, you are a, a wordsmith, a, a Pulitzer Prize winning wordsmith amongst other uh, prizes. Um, when did the power of text first come into your conscious awareness? And, and, I, and I will preface it um, by, 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 by saying or by noting that, you know, that it is a design system right? There is an actual syntax. There is an actual lexicon. There is a way that any given language forces us to see the world. And, 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 and poetry is a getting at the in-between spaces, I believe. And so when, when did that power uh, first enter your, your purview? Um, I mean, probably when I was a little kid, I became really aware of the fact that if I was in church and when people would read certain scriptures, they would lose their minds. And I just thought that was the most amazing and most powerful thing, right? Like, oh, this is, these are words and you say them out loud and people roll on the ground. You know, <laughs> like, wow, I wish I could make that happen. I mean, that's my goal. I want, I want to say things or write something down and have people read it and make them cry just because they read it. And I think, um, I guess, uh, you know, as a poet, I've always been trying to aspire to writing a book that does what the Bible does. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? You want to, you want to write the Quran, right? Like you want to write the thing that's really going to make people um, lose their minds and in the churches where I grew up, uh, lose their minds in a way that you can see them do it. Do you Mm. know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I don't, um, uh, you know, I spent a lot of times, a, a lot of time in libraries when I was a little kid. Um, so I was always encountering poems. Their poems were in the churches where I grew up. Um, you know, I, I haven't been to a sort of traditional black church in a long time, but uh, my sense is that there are still 14 year olds in the middle of a church service for whatever program or whatever special day getting up to read um Phenomenal Woman by Maya Angelou or Still I Rise or Mother to Son or The Negro Speaks of Rivers by Langston Hughes or uh, Ego Trippin' by, by Nikki Giovanni. You know what I mean? So church and poems went together 
Um, I didn't understand. I knew all, and I knew I understood. Oh, those are words. These are words in the Bible. Those are words by poets. These are words, and these words have effect, you know. And I understood that when I would see my pastor preach, um, and I understood that by people's reaction to any uh, small mastery that I had over words, even as a kid, you know, when you're a kid. Um, well, when I was a kid, maybe not anymore, I don't know, but when I was a kid, if you were sitting in a corner with a notebook and a pen and you were writing, and you people would say you were smart. They thought that equaled smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they would treat you nicely because they would leave you alone. You know, if you know what I mean? Like if you're a seven year old sitting in a corner with a pen and a notebook, nobody bothers you. Do you like nobody stops you? Do you understand? Or they try not to, at least, you know what I mean? Um, I remember once I was reading a book and my mom asked me to do something. And I and I um and I sort of made this face and she said, uh, my mom calls me Trey, everybody in my family calls me say, she said, Trey, it's a book, so you can get back to it. <laughs> That's why it's a book. It's not a, you know, at the time we didn't have a VCR, right? So she's like, it's a book, it ain't TV. You'll you want you're not gonna miss nothing, baby. Um but yeah, so I I I loved um I loved words and I thought that there was something to them. Um I thought they could do things, you know, and 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 that naivety for instance had me believing that, right? Um So yeah, I was sort of uh made into a poet from jump. Do you still believe that words can do something? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, just like what we were saying earlier, um, even if poem, even if words cannot do anything to the world first directly or to other people first and directly, words definitely change what's going on inside you. I mean, you speak a word on yourself and that word will be made flesh. Uh, I was manifesting plenty uh, on this planet. I was manifesting a lot through ignorance, just because I didn't know. I mean, I, I, I was really good at manifesting the best <laughs> because I didn't know that the opposite existed in many cases. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Um, and then, you know, getting older, I had to learn that you, could, you, can, um, you can still manifest the best if, you, if you're aware of the best in the opposite, if you're aware of the best in the awful. Do you know what I mean? So um, I do think that words change the world, but they change you, they change me, they change the individual first. And the, 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 uh, the reaction that you have to the words that you say in and over your own life change your perception of the world. And once, of course, if, if your perception of the world is changed, then the world is a different place. So yeah, I mean, of course I believe that. I mean, I'm a po- I have no choice, I guess, right? Like I'm in the business of believing it. And I do believe that, you know, um, change and power and meaning, you know, these are all, these are all incremental things that we might not be able to track in a day or a week or even a lifetime. But um, I have to believe that things are going up and not down. No, you know what I mean? You know, I know it's, there's a way that people sort of shake their head at this though, you know, and I get that, but anyway, I mean, one thing that I am not is a slave. You know what I mean? I mean, metaphorically, you could say that I am blah, 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 but I am not the slave that my great grandparents were. 
I'm just not. Um, actually, my great grandparents and my grandparents were sharecroppers, but their parents were 100% definitely slaves. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I'm, I'm not. I mean, that's progression, because according to the way the laws were written, I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I, um, you know, in, in my kind of understanding, you know, it's, 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 it's an expansion, right? It's an expansion of this experience. And, and I love, I love that you, you, you said that it starts with this internal dialogue because what else do you have but that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, your brain is sitting in the dark, surrounded by fluid mm -hmm. you know so all you have is the outward looking eye that's all you have and so to mm -hmm. start there is to change the world is to change your world because what is the world except the world that you're experiencing really um but you you mentioned um some really beautiful anecdotes about your mother like what are some uh of the most important lessons your mother and your father have taught you um, I think my mother, my mother taught me that people who are mad are going to be mad. So there was nothing that I could do about that, but let them be mad and live my life. Um, she didn't know she was teaching me that, but she definitely is the person who taught me that. She probably wishes she hadn't taught me that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, you know, so I think I really learned from her how not how to not service other people's needs uh life is short so i gotta live mine i gotta enjoy mine you know um uh she also um I actually made this list this is so funny you would say this because i made this list with my sister just the other day of um, all the times my mom, my mom was like really nice to me. Um, so it's really just funny because I'm thinking about this list. The reason I'm sort of pausing is because I'm thinking about this list that I made with my, with my sister, for my sister. Um, she's really nice. You know, sometimes she could be so sweet. I thought she would do this thing in the morning where she would like turn the heat on. She would get up earlier to turn the heat on so that when we got up, she would wake us up to let us know, hey, it's really cold. I'm going to turn the heat on to knock the cold out of the house. But y'all do need to get up. So when it warms up, get up and start getting ready. I used to think that was so nice. <laughs> like, oh, wow, you're sweet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that nice? She would like always make me spaghetti on my birthday. I mean, I guess these are different. This is different from what I learned from her. But I'm sort of just thinking she's really sweet, you know, um, and hopefully I learned how to be that way towards people, towards, you know, how to be considerate in that way um, towards people. Um, hopefully I learned that from her. And, 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 and sli slightly pivoting to, to this process um, in your process, um, you don't believe in writer's block. Mm -mm. Why is that? Because I don't think that all writing is done. 
I mean, people, people who believe in writer's block believe that because they haven't finished anything. But if you're writing, it doesn't matter if what you're writing is is poor. Like, who cares? Of course what you're writing is poor. It's on the way to being great. That's up to you to decide that. Do you know what I mean? Like, anything anybody ever did the first time was horrible. That doesn't mean they stopped doing I mean, there's probably a meal you could make, Dario. You could probably cook something. And if I were to eat that thing you would cook, I would be out here trying to find you a ring. Do you know what I'm saying? But the first time you made that thing, it was nasty. Like, do you remember the first time you tried to drive? Does that mean you stopped driving? No, you, you kept trying to drive till you got it together. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Um... And I think book to book, poem to poem, uh, you're always starting over. I'm sorry that that's true, but that's true and it should be. You should be reinventing what a poem means to you, reinventing what a novel means to you, reinventing what an essay means to you every time you write one. That's, I mean, it's called art. What you thought? Do, Do you follow what I mean? So no, I don't believe in that. I believe... You, you have a practice. And if you have a practice, then things happen. <laughs> Good things come. But they don't come if you don't have a practice. People, I think when people talk about writer's block, they really mean, I don't have a practice. I'm not willing to type what sounds horrible. I'm not willing to type what's not good. Okay, well then you're not gonna type what's good. If you can't type what, what sounds horrible, if you can't type what would get you laughed at, if you can't type what's not going to be accepted into the New Yorker, then you can't type what's going to get accepted into the New Yorker. That's, I mean, it's, not, it's just not true. You make a practice. Just like you make a practice for everything else, just like a, you make a practice for everything else you do well. Anything you do well, you do well because you kept doing it. You write every day, you're going to write something good. Sooner, sooner or later, you're going to write. But you got to write every day. Nobody says this to basketball. Like, basketball players don't get basketball block. When they're playing poorly, you know what I mean? I don't, you know what I mean? I remember once in the, um, I mean, maybe it was the 90s. It could have been the early 2000s. Patti LaBelle, you remember Patti LaBelle was all over TV when I was a young person. Um, and I remember and she was always doing the um, the tribute. Like whenever it was time to tribute somebody else, she was singing their song in a different key and screaming it down, by the way. I mean, you know, I mean that positively. But I remember one time she sang and she sang the Lord's Prayer on this program, probably find it online. And I remember she said before she sang, she said, it's not here today. You know what I mean? She's like, she's like, I, I, we going to do what we do, but the voice is not there. And indeed, when she was singing, you could tell she was having some voice trouble. You know what I mean? Now, that day, did Patti LaBelle have singer's block? Patti LaBelle don't have singer's block. You know what I mean? So I just, no, I ain't for all that.
you know, and I and I and I ask it really with the undergirding question of like, what other stories are we telling ourselves that limit our creativity? Right. Like this concept, because someone somewhere at some time invented or penned this concept of writer's block, quote unquote, writer's block. Mm -hmm. Right. Now it's a thing that people can have. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, the power of a word and the, you know, the word may flesh or it may Mm -hmm. manifest. It, It allows for this other thing. So it makes me think about like, what are the other stories we're telling ourselves both creative, you know, creatively and just, you know, the lived experience that that limit what what is possible. Well, one of ourselves. the stories I mean, one of the stories that we're telling ourselves is that um, that we haven't made it until somebody else tells us we made it or that um, we're not a success until we have some marker of success that is in line with traditional ideas of prestige. You know, uh, I'm quite grateful to have won a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, I mean, and when I say quite grateful, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and I'm, I have no shame about the fact that I always wanted a Pulitzer Prize. Of course I wanted a Pulitzer Prize. Do you know how much money you end up getting after that? Do you understand? Like, I want all the money. Like, what do I look like? You know what I'm saying? At the same time, I didn't need a Pulitzer Prize to be under the impression that I was a poet, that it was real. And I know that other people did. I know other people feel like, oh, he's a poet because I got a Pulitzer Prize. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean? If I were to put my weight on what other people think poetry is or what other people think makes me a poet, that would be silly. And one way you know that is some people have decided that only the poets with Pulitzer Prizes are poets. I mean, Langston Hughes is not a poet. That means Emily Dickinson is not a poet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Emily Dickinson never won a prize. I don't know of what prize Langston Hughes, I mean, I'm sure he might, must have uh, won prizes uh, later in his life. James Baldwin won a Guggenheim, I believe. But you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, who cares? Like, that's not, that's not going to be the thing because you can't count on that. Do you follow what I mean? Uh, so that's one of the things that's one of the things we're doing. Um, I mean, the other thing we're doing is making this decision that we're not as important as everybody else in our lives. You know, when you got to pick up your kids from school, you're generally there when they get out of school. Um, when you got to do something for somebody else, any appointment that you have to be at, you're, you're generally there when it's time to be there. I mean, you might be running a little late. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I mean? But generally, when it comes to um, everybody else, we do what we got to do. But then when it comes to us, we don't want to find we don't want to find the 10 minutes necessary to sit down somewhere and write. When I say 10, I mean 10. No, you're not going to finish a novel in 10 minutes, but you will have 10 minutes out of that day that you will go to sleep and say, I did that for me today. So that's one of the things that we do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you got to do what you got to do for you and you got to stop thinking that that's selfish. Ain't nobody else thinking it's selfish when you're doing what you're doing for them. They don't think they're being selfish. They think you're supposed to do what you're doing for them. Do you know what I mean? So what do you do for you? So, I mean, that's another way I think we sabotage ourselves. I think it's a good idea just to take better care of ourselves. 
you know, in the way we would want to be taken care of, you know? Yeah, a bit, a, a bit of self-care, um, you know, it makes me think about, you know, you mentioning earlier, what does it look like to even be in relationship with someone or to even meet someone new, you know, in this current pandemic, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what, what, what have relationships or the pursuit of love, right? Romantic love taught you? Oh, um, I don't know. I never thought about what it Ooh. taught me. Uh, what, <laughs> That's, what? That smile. <laughs> oh, I just love talking. You about went to a wonderful place. Oh, I'm sorry. I love talking about love. I mean, I love love. <laughs> I love being in love. I love falling in love. I love the whole thing. It's like one of my favoriteest things. Do you talk know what about I'm saying? Um, I don't know. And I, I like that feeling. And so, I mean, one of the things that it teaches me is how to enjoy a feeling. You know. And um, how a feeling is indeed a real thing. Do you know what I mean? You know, like, you know, Dario, when you're cuddling with somebody, it's, you, you're like, what is this? Like, I cannot get out of the bed. Nothing is happening. You are laying in the bed touching a person and a person is touching you. But you feel like you're doing like. Do you know what I mean? When you're doing that, you don't even have to be talking. When you're doing that, you feel like you feel like you're doing something. You're making something. You're building something. You know what I mean? You're laying in the bed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think um, I don't know. So maybe that's what it's taught me that feelings are, are things that they're real, um, and therefore it's uh, given me some respect for my own feeling. And for other people's feeling, even when their feeling is, um, even when there's no reason or need for their feeling, even when their feeling comes from some uh, weird imagination. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so, and I think maybe falling in love taught me that. It, I mean, it's also taught me um, that, that I'm indeed capable of what I'm afraid of, you know, that I, I can, that, uh, that there's, you know, the, for me, at least, one of the wonderful things about being in love is that it gives me the opportunity to pay attention to myself in a different way. You know what I mean? So that I'm not um, so I'm not mistreating somebody. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, it pushes me sort of to the, uh, the absolute limit of consideration because I want the absolute limit of consideration <laughs> back. Do you know what I mean? Um it makes me crazy. I love feeling crazy. <laughs> like, I love the fact that when I'm in love, I'm getting all this other stuff done. But I don't, I don't feel that other stuff as much. You know what I mean? Because I got somewhere What's to What's the be. other stuff? Oh, you know, teaching my classes, writing an essay for this or that assignment, or um, mowing the lawn, or washing the dishes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, those things, you know, if I'm in love, I'm like, okay, are y'all, okay, y'all good, y'all good, all right, gotta go. Do you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm out. You know, I'm like, 
let me do this very well and efficiently because I got to go. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I mean, and then the other wonderful thing about it is I do think that, for me at least, it offers me a chance to uh, to take care of myself in ways that I don't take care of myself enough when I'm not in love, you know? Um, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of doing absolutely nothing that goes on when you're in love. And uh, I don't have enough time that I'm doing absolutely nothing. So that feeling, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. you know, if I binge watch, I'm thinking about binge watching Succession. My friends keep telling me to watch it. So I'm thinking about that, right? You know, doing that with a person feels like you're doing something. Like y'all did, we did that. You know, you gained an experience together. You gained a memory together. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, doing that by yourself sort of feels like, uh, should I be doing this? Do, do you know what I mean? I, it shouldn't feel that way, but it does. Do you know what? That's a lot of hours. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that's what I, I mean, I think that's, one, that's some of the stuff that I learned from being in love. What does love feel like? Um, I don't know. Like, it feels... I don't know, it's like the worst kind of good, I guess, <laughs> you know? It just feels like, uh, it feels risky and strange and nice. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Um, is that a question or is that rhetorical? Yeah, like you're kind of looking at me. I mean, maybe the we're on a podcast, so people don't. You're kind of looking at me like, really, really. So I, you're like, mm hmm, mm hmm. Like, you don't think love is like that? Um, I think, I think love is that. I think love is, um, multivalent. I think that there are many ways to experience it. I think, I think that the act of loving right is can be risky um or feel risky um i believe the act of loving um can undo oneself um i believe that the act of loving is really about in a way who you want to become right and that this other individual that seems external to you is really a focus point to pull you towards a version of yourself that you want to be right um and hopefully maybe you know receive right Recipro have that reciprocated but i think and so the reason that there was a level of kind of like disbelief or a mm-hmm was because that's the act of loving. But I'm interested in what does love feel like, right? Um, and ultimately, I believe that what you're seeking, right, like what you're willing to risk it all for is to feel like you belong, Right, I think ultimately love is a sense of belonging, 
un, unconditional belonging, um, to feel held, to feel couched in care, um, and to feel couched in care in a way that does not feel tentative, um, that does not feel um, liminal or shaky in any way. Um, ultimately, that is what you're, the act of loving is in pursuit of. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, sure. I believe, yeah. like, you know, from my perspective, just through my, you know, own lived experience, um, and, you know, really looking left and looking right and, and up and down and in and out to always look for and find and know that we are indeed held mm-hmm. um, at, at all points, you know, of our life. Um, and, and where can I find that feeling? Where can I find that feeling when there is not an object of attention to focus on? Because that does not somehow add to or diminish the um, substance. Um, and by substance, I mean, right, like sub understands what we're standing on, what is supporting us, um, is always there, is ever present, that love is, you know, and to, to, to divorce ourselves or detach ourselves from it. Well, one, you can't, and two, it's an illusion. So, um, so that's how I feel about love. Yeah. Um, but speaking, <laughs> please don't ask me any more questions because I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> um, so, um, I would love if you could read, um, one of the duplex poems, from tradition as we wind down this conversation. You wanted um, a poem as a gesture toward home, right? Yes. Duplex. A poem is a gesture toward home. It makes dark demands I call my own. Memory makes demands darker than my own. My last love drove a burgundy car. My first love drove a burgundy car. He was fast and awful, tall as my father. Steadfast and awful, my tall father hit hard as a hailstorm. He'd leave marks. Light rain hits easy, but leaves its own mark, like the sound of a mother weeping again. Like the sound of my mother weeping again, no sound beating ends where it began. None of the beaten end up how we began. A poem is a gesture toward home. Um, <clears throat> what I, I, lo- I love this particular um, duplex in, in, in the tradition amongst you know, others. Um, but the reason this was selected is because there is this undulation of time, right? And then also for, for viewers, when you get the tradition, and if you're listening, if you do not have it, please go buy the tradition. We will put a link in the show notes for you to purchase it. Um, but there is this undulation of, of, of time um, and, and then also of memory that is going back and forth, um, both visually and in the actual text itself. Mm-hmm. And also knowing 
a bit about your process, right? Like that you that you you don't really you don't waste lines. You know what I mean? Like you 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 write lines, you put them away, you save them for a rainy day. Maybe you combine them later in another poem. So there's this kind of verbal um, quilt uh, tradition that's happening. But you know, thinking about memory and thinking about time, um, one it makes me think. Of, uh, of an essay that Toni Morrison wrote in which she says that, you know, when a river floods, it's actually about remembering, right? It's remembering where it once was, that a flood is a memory. Um, and so as this, this, this duplex um, undulates, right, and weaves time together, you know, my, my penultimate question is, what is your relationship to time? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, sometimes I believe in it and sometimes I don't. Like I have this idea that everything that is, everything that will be already is, you know? Um, and everything, I know for a fact that everything that was still is, you know what I mean? Um, particularly if you take the time to pay attention, you know, if you take the time to know anything about your own history or the history of your nation, uh, the history of your family, uh, everything that was still is, um, and everything that will be, you know, it's already begun in the mind in a way, you know? So uh, I sort of have this idea that, um, I sort of have this idea that everything I want is already here. I just have to, I just have to recognize it, you know, and sometimes I'm not recognizing it. Uh, and the more that I can recognize the ways that it's already here, the more I can see it uh, sort of made manifest in other ways too. Right. Um, so there's that, there's that idea I have about time. Um, but then lately I've been sort of like, I get time kind of gets on my nerves. Like I'm, I know I'm supposed to like getting older, but I just haven't gotten there yet. Like it gets on my nerves actually. Um, I don't, you know, and I need to work. I mean, this is like sort of, I'm saying this cause it's what I, what I gotta figure out, what I gotta work on. You know, there are certain, um, I, you cannot, you cannot live life thinking about what you wish you would have done back when you had this or did that or when the knees wasn't going through the, you know what I'm saying? So I think, um, I think that's part of what I've been thinking about about time and part of what I've been wanting to write about uh, in my poems more recently. Um, I don't think men talk about, you know, um, Nobody talks about their bodies enough. I mean, really, nobody. Nobody talks to one another about their bodies enough. But women are a lot better at it than men are. And there's a lot, just because I'm getting older, there's a lot that I go through or that I'm going through um, that, like, all these other men have that I've been around have gone, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll mention something that's going on to one of my frat brothers or something like that. And they'll say, oh, yeah, that happened to me. And I'm like, why did anybody tell me this is what was coming? 
Do you know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> so I wish I could like write a book just that like to let me know what's coming. Do you know what I'm saying? So you don't have to feel bad about it when it gets here. You're like, oh, that's coming. Let me preempt that. Um, so there's that, uh, which I think is a thought about time. Um, but, you know, one thing that I've never, I'm not, so I think that, but then I'm also sort of, sometimes I worry that I'm not worried about time enough, but I'm generally just not, generally, like, as a daily practice, just not worried about it. You know, like people are always like, when is your next book coming out? I'm like, when I finish it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what do I look like rushing a book and then it's bad? Like, I don't want to put up, what do I look like writing a bad book? I'd rather like take the time necessary for me to write a good one, you know? Um, uh, so I don't, I don't really worry. I think because I really do believe that everything that will be is already here. I don't really worry about time um but these knees though uh, <laughs> these knees like it's the, the price of admission bro yeah i don't like that mm, mm. i don't like that i don't i mean i think i had a war you know tim the poet tim siebel sort of gave me literally the only man to ever give me a warning and he wasn't even trying to give me a warning he was just telling me something about um, playing tennis and how he was playing tennis a certain number of days and then he was going through a lot of pain. And He went to the doctor and the doctor was like, "Just, I just need you to play tennis one less day. And then the, he didn't have that same pain. Do you know what I mean? And I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> that's what that is. And I remember when he was telling me, he was just like, he had this look of sort of resignation, like that's the way it is, you know? And I remember thinking, is that the way it is? You know, but not really because I was so much younger, not really internalizing it. And, uh, but man, that's the way it is, right? Like I, you know what I mean? I'd be wanting to like do things that I used to be able to do that like if I try to do them now, I'd be to hurt something. So I just have to be, um, I have to be careful. Now, I don't like that, but I'm trying. So that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm praying about and calling practitioners about. And you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of my thing. I want to be one of these. I don't want to be, you know, I want to be one of these people who enjoys that because it's better than the other option. You know, I want to get, I mean, I, I want to be, oh, I want to be horribly old, <laughs> just, just the oldest person you ever met you know what I mean so if I want that then I also need to um, get with what comes with that you know yeah um, you know thank you thank you so much for, for, for answering that um, and before I get to um, our, our last question um, I just want to take this moment to one just thank you for sharing your afternoon with us, um, but to 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 acknowledge uh, this work, right, and to acknowledge uh, the the courage to become uh, to become Jericho, the courage to name yourself, and then also to desire and then manifest that individual into a world that we all benefit from that singular 
process um, that you, with language and words, speak into uh, existence, you know, experiences and perceptivity that, you know, is a vocabulary that was that did not exist prior to, you know, and in that it allows us to actually see and to actually name the thing instead of, uh, not to bring up our sister Toni Morrison again, but what she would call a hunch, right? If you don't have the data, if you don't have the knowledge, what you're left with is just a hunch. So I thank you for filling in um, those voids and I really want to acknowledge that. And I also really look forward to our next conversation because there's so, so much more to talk about. Um, But uh, as we wrap up, I'd love to know, first of all, where can people connect with you, find you, um, and support you? Um, And then after that, what is the world that you imagine for the future? Um, Well, you know, I'm on social media. I have Facebook, though. I just think Facebook is the worst. I'm on Twitter, which I like better. You know, I'm not a big social media fan, but um, I do like, I mean, of the social media, I do like, I probably like Twitter the most and spend most time on it. Um, and I'm on Twitter at, at Jericho Brown. I'm on Instagram at Jericho Brown one. I don't like pictures. So I hardly ever post, but I always post in the stories. Um, and yeah, I have a website, JerichoBrown.com. You get books there. I have three books, um, of poetry and that's how people can that's the first question right mm-hmm. did i finish did i do good and then the next question is what what was it, it was a hard question what is the i know yeah, what is the world that you imagine for the future and this is if you had everything at your behest what is the world that you imagine for the future oh if i had everything at my behest what i imagine right. or what do i really think is gonna happen <laughs> okay first of all first of all <laughs> Because <laughs> you know what I want to happen and what is going to happen might not be the same thing. Anyway, let's just talk about what I want to happen because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, you know, I would like a world where uh, Stacey Abrams is the governor of Georgia. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I would like a world where um, where things that are easy are made easy uh, and not complex. Um um, and I would like, do you understand what I mean? What I mean by that is uh, if there's a way to get something done in this world, for instance, if you're throwing away vaccine at the end of the day in Georgia because nobody wants to be vaccinated, that there's some easy way of getting that vaccine to somebody who would indeed want it, that that's a possibility, that that's real. Do you know what I mean? As opposed, so real processes like that. I would love to see that. I would love to see somebody do an overhaul of the processes that we're, I mean, you know, that we're enduring that are unnecessarily difficult. I don't like it when I send, um, you know, when I send my insurance uh, a statement from my doctor and they tell me, oh, you forgot the code. And I'm like, but you got this statement from my doctor. So, you know, I was there. I can't, do you know what I'm saying? You want a code? Do you know what I mean? So I think um, little things like that uh, that would, I mean, I think that would make everybody's life easier. Um, I would like to, you know, and I think ultimately just a world in which I'm learning, um, uh, more about writing where I'm writing 
things in other genres where I'm learning to write and write well um, in other genres. I want to write more poems um, as well. I'm sort of discovering new terrain in the land of poetry. Um, oh, and yeah, I'm in a world where I'm in love and making love every day. And what else? Um, lots of money and... I don't know. It's nice to have my friends around and my sister around. It would be nice. You know, I don't, I don't look forward to it because I have to be realistic. So it's hard, you know, um, you know, I have to wish, you know, you have to wish folks well. Um, and you have to see the best in every situation, but it would be nice to be, um, in better communication and real communication, not just like communication that only comes from one side uh, with my parents, which I don't have right now. That would be nice. Um, you know, if everything was at my behest, you know, I could have conversations with them that were normal. <laughs> um, uh, it would be nice not to have to like, you know, to like go to concerts and not be scared, you know, um, of getting sick. I, I don't have, you know, people are very, a lot of people, I mean, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but some people that I know, um, you know, they're kind of glib about uh, the Omicron variant because they're under the impression that, oh, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted. Therefore, even if I get it, I only get sick for three to five days. And so I sort of feel like three to five days is too long for my lower back to be hurting and for me to have a cough and for me to have body aches. Like, no, thank you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to sort, I don't want any one of, I don't want a headache for three to five days. I don't want, you know, a sore throat for three to five. I don't, you know, I don't actually, like, no shade, but I don't have time for that. Like, I got stuff to do. I don't have time for a sore throat. You know, like, I, I want ease. I want ease in my body. You know, I want my health to be a health that only knows ease. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, what else? I mean, that's all. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, I just, I'm sort of inspired by people doing what they love to do. And I just would like to see more of that from other folks and from myself. And um, doing I mean, taking care of yourself, doing what you need to do for you, you know, um, and being honest about it. I just think that's, I mean, the feeling that that brings me when I see that in other people is absolutely, it's absolutely inspiring. Um, one of my favorite things in the world, I'll stop after I say this book, those, um, those artists, those women who uh, came to prominence, mostly in the 1960s, um, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Patti LaBelle, and Gladys Knight, um, who ultimately sat around inventing music, like our, like our, you know what I mean? Like literally deciding, <laughs> you know, without sometimes even knowing they were deciding, you know, what music would sound like. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I love, um, I love seeing those women sing, even if they, you know, don't have the voice that they used to have or if they fall off key or whatever. I love it because I know when I see that, that they are in the middle of doing what they love to do the most and that they are experiencing in that moment a feeling that is my goal for feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, 
So yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us today. I'm sorry, but hearing two black men discuss what loving and being in love feels like, it's just what we need to make more space for. What was your favorite part of the conversation? Let us know your thoughts over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. The comment section is live. And be sure to check out this conversation and more amazing content over on our new site at IBI Digital at blackimagination.com. Let go of attachment. Let go of perfection. And just be right now in this moment. You are held. Stay curious and keep dreaming. <laughs>